Hello, welcome to Veterinary Ramblings with me, the host, Julian Ho. Now, I'm sorry if you're expecting Mike Brampton because he and I usually do our interviews together, but I'm afraid tonight I'm interviewing, so uh, Mike is not going to get a chance to take over all the interviewing like he normally does. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. I've got Mike as a guest tonight. Now, Mike, how do I, how do I introduce you? Do I introduce you as the owner of Tim's Medical, the main innovator of pulse symmetry in the country, the author of the best-selling capnography book, an explorer, a power boat driver, no, a rifleman, or a photographer? I, I, don't, I don't know. How do I, skier? No, definitely a cyclist. Now, how do I, how do I introduce you? Introduce yourself, come Mike Branson, welcome to the show. Introduce yourself, please. Who are you? Well, you got me into driving powerboats, didn't you? Well, yeah. I, I hadn't yeah. even thought about it until you, you phoned me that day and said, let's go driving offshore powerboats. Let's let's go to the Solent in the middle of winter. It, it felt like the middle of winter. It actually was the middle of winter. Well, it was. It was March. Yes. <laughs> but the reason I got you into powerboating is because I thought, at last, I might be better at something than you. So tell me now your job driving powerboats now, <laughs> My job driving powerboats. I, I drive powerboats as, as a part of uh, a role that, thanks to you getting me the qualification, I've taken up more seriously in the last the last six months or so. So I drive powerboats. They're, they're, they're actually called Zodiacs, which mm. are rigidly inflatable boats with a big powerful outboard stuck on the back with a tiller control and I stand at the back of my boat driving expectant tourists round ice floes looking for polar bears. Yeah, round ice floes looking for polar bears. So, so about, about four minutes ago, you blamed me for taking you power boating in the middle of winter. Yes. But no, no, tell me more about this driving us Odiac around ice floes. That doesn't sound warm. Yeah, sure. I've got myself a job as an Arctic guide. And polar bear guard. So there are lots of assets or facets to that particular job. The primary one, of course, is keeping the guests safe. Is it just for polar bears, or are there other things out there? There's there's other things out there. I mean, there are icebergs out there. There are ice flows. Fog can come down moments notice so it's, it's really just keeping people safe in the high arctic whilst enjoying themselves you know we don't we don't want guests falling through a snow bridge into freezing torrents of water or get flushed out into the baltic ocean we don't want them falling off cliff they'd be classed as a bad thing wouldn't they really all of those things would be classed as bad things i mean the, the ultimate bad thing the ultimate bad thing would be if we got caught out by a polar bear Yes, so tell me about that. How, how far away are you from the bears? One of the exams that I had to sit in order to enable to do this job are the IECO exams. These are the, that's a, sort of a, an association, an organization that controls the way that people operate in extreme environments like the Arctic. So there's, there's a different one for the Antarctic. But the one that I'm qualified in, in is IECO. There are guidelines, essentially, so that you don't act stupid, you don't disturb the wildlife, 
and you try and stay as safe as possible. So we're, we're guided by that. Now that will tell you that you're technically, you're not supposed to approach a polar bear within several hundred meters. Sometimes that's not possible because the bear will approach you. Um, I think, yes, you can't just keep on running away because that attracts them. Gets them running towards you. Yeah, ex exactly. I mean, there are, there are various circumstances where a bear may come to you. The commonest is when the bear will approach. If the ship is sitting quietly in sea ice and nobody's out from the boat, you, you're all maybe sitting in the canteen or in the bar or something like that. And the bear will find you and will come over and investigate what you are doing. Now, in that particular situation, the bear could close within 10 meters, uh, but you are relatively safe so long as the bear can't get off the boat. I've had several occasions where if I'm in a Zodiac, one of those outboard, powered, rigid inflatable boats, blow up boats, and he's on land because a bear can only jump about 10 meters. So as long as you stay outside of that range, if they've walked down to see what you're about and you're in reverse, you can safely pull the boat and anybody in the boat away. But the ideal scenario is, is that you won't get within, within a hundred meters or so. Right. That's what the single lenses come in. You, you've got some pretty amazing lenses. You've got some pretty amazing cameras generally, haven't you? Well, yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean photography? What, what made you start to? take snaps photography i think my dad got me into photography when i was about eight years old to keep me out of mischief <laughs> and i followed that through until the start of digital photography university young families and all of that sort of stuff took me away from it and then as digital photography got better i started to dabble and, you know, like you, I've got a great interest in wildlife and animal welfare and all of those things that we've discussed over the, over previous episodes with other guests. So for me, it's a natural evolution to take photographs of wildlife. I happen to enjoy large predators. They are, they're amazing creatures, aren't they? And, and amazing environments they're in as well. So yeah, very much the, so be drawn to the Arctic and, and, and enjoy it, even if you don't get to see any polar pairs, but they're the, the, kind of the ice field. It is a unique environment. It is largely unspoiled. And as a guide, one of the things I, I, it, it's very tempting to give somebody a running commentary on everything from how sea ice is formed to the shape of the glaciers, the color of the ice, to et cetera, et cetera. But very often what I will do if I'm leading a hike or we're in the Zodiac, I'll turn the motor off. I'll just let the Zodiac drift in the ice perfectly safe. We, we might approach a, a glacier front where you get the glacier ice that will come off. You've got to stay away from it. Can't go too close because it's incredibly dangerous. <laughs> Because when the, when a glacier carves, it's not just the chunk of ice that falls down into the water that sends out of a big wave, shock wave of the ice going into the water, but it also shatters. So what you get is a, it's a shrapnel effect. So you get shards of ice will fly across the front face of the water and they'll go a hundred meters or more. 
And what you also get are larger chunks of ice that will break off. And they're like mortars or grenades that fly up into the air and then splatter down equally at about 200 meters. You just don't want to be anywhere near that. But what I'll often do is I'll just turn the engine off or I'll stop, I'll stop talking or stop everybody from talking and just listen because we, we talk about the silence of the Arctic, but it's not silent. It, it, it sort of, how can I describe it? It calls to you. It talks Hmm. the. The melting ice from a, from a, a glacier will pop. It pops and hisses as bubbles of, of air that were compressed thousands of years ago finally break free, and it pops. It's 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 perfect to pick. What well, what's a good thing to do? Great fun to do is to pick up a piece of glacier ice from the sea. Mm-hmm. It's quite a sweet taste. It's not salty at all, and take that back to the ship. And then what you do is you break that up into chunks, great big chunks, and you pop that in your whiskey in the evening while you rum or your your gin, and uh, it it, it fizzes and pops in your glass as you're drinking it. Drinking ice that's several thousand years old, or or, or, or several hundred thousand years old, depending on how. Yeah, absolutely. Laid laid down by snowfall and compressed and compressed and compressed, and then it's worked its way down the mountain. So, yeah, so often I'll, I'll switch the engines off or shut up. And just let people listen and take in the atmosphere because it talks to you. And is it that talking? Is it that 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 voice of the Arctic that makes you want to go back and back and back? I think it probably is. It's some it's some ice sirens tucked away under the ice, beckoning beckoning un, unwary sailors and explorers to come and talk to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a unique environment and, and it's fascinating and you spend a lot of time marveling at the adventures of people that have passed before you. Mm. I've got Gore-Tex gear, I've got down, I've got all of the latest equipment to keep me warm and dry and safe. And you think of the, of the Shackletons and the Amundsons of the, and the Scots. Yeah. And the equipment yeah. that they were using, and yet they're in the same environment. You know, they got wet, they got frozen. Yeah. Um, because when something is wet, unless it's Gore-Tex, when, when something, when clings get wet, they stay wet in that environment, don't they? As, as you know from your own mountaineering experience, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. top of a mountain, it's cold. And nothing yeah. less pleasant than, than cold and wet. Absolutely. Well, until it freezes. Until it freezes, yeah. But it's like, then it's even worse. Yeah. So, and you you said to me before about the the feeling of a real privilege of being there. Mm. Yes, yeah. you do you do look upon it as a as a real privilege, don't you? As a, an honour to to be allowed there, to be allowed back, and to be allowed to be in that position of of, of being a guide. The, the 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 feeling of privilege is 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 multifaceted because it it's a privilege to be there. Whether as a photographer, whether as a tourist, whether as a, somebody on a cruise, it's a privilege to be able to go to these places. Yeah. The, the privilege also is, is manifest in the fact that to be going back again and again, and now going back as a person responsible, ultimately responsible for the safety of visitors to the area 
that's a real privilege because I'm a guy from Birmingham. I'm, I'm not a youngster born about as far from the sea as they get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, until probably just before COVID, I wouldn't have even imagined getting on board some of the little ships that I've now been on. These are small converted exploration boats or fishing boats and converted for exploration. So they've got berths, showers, sort of even got a little sauna, but they are small ships. And it wasn't until the first one that I went on, which was about six or seven years ago now, and we sailed out from, from Longyearbyen, the main harbor, and we got hit by a squall and I was, I'm privileged. I was lucky. I was the only, I was the only guest who wasn't sick. And I found it quite exciting going up on the bridge and watching the waves break against the bow and the, the water flowing up right over the top of the ship as we pitched up and down in this environment. It was incredible. I loved it, but I had I'm no, sure. I had no idea. You, you see these videos on YouTube of small ships or big ships in big seas and very often it turns your stomach and I had no idea that I would find it such a thrill. Good. So, Did you find it frightening at all? Th there's the odd, there's the odd, the odd tip of the boat or, or yaw or, or roll. And you sort of think, oh my God, that was a big roll. We're going to roll over. Mm -hmm. And you settle down again soon afterwards and you realize that it's not going to be too bad. And you turn it bow into the waves again and you carry on. It's not always it's, like that though. No? Yeah, no, no, it's not always like that. It, 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 the sea ice has, has been described as the devil's dance floor. Until you actually see it or experience it, it's, it's difficult to describe because if you can imagine looking across a seascape and you'll right. see the swell and you'll see the waves, it's exactly the same as that, but it's covered with ice. But the ice moves and it's, it, it is, it's like the devil's dance floor. But the, the only creature that's not affected by that is the polar bear. And they seem to be able to walk across that like it's a billiard table. You and I would just fall over, but they just... Is, is, that, is that because they're so heavy that they steady as the ice or...? I, th I think it's because they've got their sea legs and they've got four of them and we've only got two. <laughs> well, as a quadruped, they're far better equipped to do that. They've got big, big paws. Massive, bears have got massive, massive paws. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that spreads the load as they, they walk across the ice and it's their environment. It's their home. It'd be like you going to the, going into the kitchen and getting in here. A polar bear will walk across sea ice and it's not always rough. Sometimes it is absolutely mirror flat. I've and seen some of your pictures and, and I have to say they are always amazing, but I've seen some of your pictures where, where there's a true mirror effect. In any absolutely. Way. The, the mountains above and the mountains reflected and it looks like there's no movement in the sea at all. No, absolutely not. There's, there's not a ripple. Nothing is disturbing that unless you get a a skewer or a, a full mar dip its wing tip in as it's, as it flies past you. But yeah, it, it's absolutely incredible. That flat calm very often is accompanied by the most spectacular light. Um, it? so all I do is capture it in the camera. You know, it's all I'm doing is pressing the shutter. It's there. You, anybody could do it. 
Well, I don't agree. I don't agree. I think that th there is a, a difference between pointing a camera, using its settings to get a good image and getting that image. And okay, well, I could help you build that image. You could, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could. If I do, if I go to Salbarg with you, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I would do that. Yeah. Wait, is it, is it different? It must be, it must be different going as a, as a guide as opposed to going as a, as a guest. What are the differences? Makes it feel different. It feels different. I've got a lot of friends on Svalbard from going back from, from all the expeditions, the expeditions that I've been on, you know, both by land and by sea. And it's this last year, since I fully qualified and I got my Siemens uh, ticket and, and I can get a job on any, any seagoing vessel now. But since I got that, and since I got the permission to carry permit from the governor, which enables me to carry a rifle, which now means that I can, in my own right, leave the environs of the town, um, because that's a legal requirement. You don't leave the environs of the town without a rifle. Um, but I've got permission to carry now for polar bear, um, guarding duties. The guys, I don't know, I don't think their attitude has significantly changed, although it's sort of been more of a welcome. And it's, it's as if now you're one of us, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you've, you've finally taken your exams, you know, you've proven yourself, you've been up here, um, but now you're, you're the man responsible. And, and you can um, make it. Yeah. And tell me more about those responsibilities. Cause you, you said earlier about you being responsible for, for the guests, but also responsible for, for the polar bears and, and the other, yeah. the other animals and the other island. What, to tell me more about that. What does that mean? Well, ultimately your responsibility for safety. So it is keeping the guests safe in that environment, which let's not beat around the bush here. It's, it's a really harsh environment. It's, it's not like just walking out of your living room. You know, you're going out into potentially minus 20 wind squalls can blow up in an instant. Fog can come down in an instant. And you're in, you are in the domain. You're in their domain, the polar bear's domain. That's their house. That's their backyard. And I don't believe we're necessarily on their menu, but as any scavenger or predator will do, if it has an opportunity for feed, it's going to try it. I'll have a taste of the bite. Sure. And of course, a nibble would be fatal. But it, the responsibility is basically keeping your guests safe. So they have an enjoying, an enjoyable time. They feel safe, but they know that it's sort of on the edge. That the mm -hmm. sea ice moves, that towards the edge of that cliff where all the birds are nesting, it's a long way down. The, the snow that we're walking on sometimes will disappear up to your waist, you know, mm -hmm. because a, a snow bridge will have broken. And you basically have to give them an element of an adventure and an element of excitement, but keep it as safe as possible. The stewardship role, of course, also extends to the wildlife. Yes. So you, you don't go piling into a walrus colony. You know, you, you try and move through the environment in such a way that you don't affect the animal's natural behavior. A large angry walrus, they move moderately quickly at times if they really want to. You don't want to be at the end of it. You know, they're great no. big long tusks. They could do some serious damage and you just don't want to be there. Likewise, you don't want to be responsible 
for scattering a herd and them causing injuries to each other as, sure. as well as fear and problems. So you, you've got to be very careful around them. Polar bears, you've just got to be careful. And the idea is, is that you can get your experience. You can have your adventure without disturbing their day-to-day -day routine because for them, they're looking for a seal, although with global warming now, some of them are changing their diet and have learned to hunt reindeer, which mm -hmm. is a most incredible thing. A big white bear on a brown background hunting a big white reindeer. It's, it's not by stealth, but oh, I imagine so. Yeah. So, so you, you don't want to interfere with, with what they're doing. They're going about their daily, daily lives. Do you think, and we, we talk about ecotourism. And I guess what you're doing is a form of ecotourism, isn't it? But there are, there are good and bad ecotourism holidays. And it sounds to me as if yours is, is one of the good ones. You're, you're not interacting, but thawing away with the, with the animals. And presumably some of the money goes back into the economy of that local area. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, one of the things that the, the governor was very particular about a few years ago was to limit the size of the vessels that visit Svalbard. Mm -hmm. So the ship that I was working on last summer had got a guest capacity of 190, mm -hmm. which is just the upper limit. And so 190, you can launch, you could launch probably 10 Zodiacs. And mm -hmm. everybody would be able to go on a Zodiac tour or cruise around the ships through the sea ice and stuff like that, or up at, into one of the fjords, go visit a glacier. Any bigger than that, and you're restricted because the ships can't get in close to the, to the land and everything would then have to be done by Zodiac. So that's hence the limit. The ships that I do prefer working on and one of next year's expeditions is on such a ship is a small ship with only about 12 guests. Mm -hmm. So it's a very intimate experience and it's intimate both for the guests and the wildlife, because it means that we, we will only ever launch two Zodiacs, not 10. Right. So you'll only have two Zodiacs in the water at any one time. And that reduces the impact on, on say a polar bear. It's having a, having a nap or, or a walrus chilling out on an ice floe. Instead of having 10 Zodiacs all flocking towards, there's just one or two. And it's, it's no, interesting. No. I mean, sorry, I was just about to say, uh, there may be people listening to this and think, well, you know, what about the, the fuel you're using on these Zodiacs? And what about the fuel you're using on these boats? But I think if we put that in some sort of perspective, it's about a thousand of the fuel used for so a week on, 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 on your Zodiacs. A week on your little ships, it's about a thousand of the fuel used for an hour on the, on the big, um, party, uh, cruises, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think all the, all the ships are self-sufficient. So we, yeah, we're not discharging sewage into the water. You know, that is all self-sufficient. We are making our own water, even on the small boats. We're making our own water. We're responsible for our own heat and. Pollution discharges are minimal. Yeah. Uh, so 
all of the ships are, they're, they're building some very environmentally friendly ships now. Ultimately, yes, there's a lot of waste that's going to be got rid of of various types, food as, as well as human. But, but yeah, we're very, very careful about this. And it, it stems, it goes even further because we will occasionally order, organize a beach clearance because there's plastics up there. Yeah, there, we find plastics, we do a beach landing and we'll find plastic around the beach that's washed up. Yeah. From, how, how from, where, from wherever. Well, yeah, absolutely. From wherever. You find all sorts of things, bottles, bits of fishing nests, plastics of all sorts. But again, you have to be very mindful when you clear a beach or you do some of this collection. Yes, you're removing a pollutant from the natural environment. But very often, you've got growth to, and life actively working and living and, and breeding and developing on those plastics. And so you then take them from the environment and you've probably lost a whole breeding colony of, of a particular fungi or, or zooplankton. So, uh, yeah, and I heard recently that there's, certain, there's a new species or subspecies of krill, isn't there, that's adapted yeah. to live within and breed on plastics. Yeah. Yeah. So you've like that. Damned if you don't. You, yeah. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. We, we're all inter interconnected and you just have to be mindful of that. How was it learning to, to use the rifle? Because you had to have special training for that, didn't you? Yes. I, I went up to, um, to the National Rifle Center in Bisley and it's, it's very different because, uh, did you allude to the wild animal capture? Stuff yes, you, saw, right, you, were, you, you were licensed previously, weren't you, for, for yeah. wild animal capture? Yeah, I'm, I'm licensed. I'm, I'm one of the, the few people in the UK that's licensed for wild animal capture, which in effect is using a dart gun to, to capture wild animals. So yeah, before that I'd shot rifles and I'd shoot archery and things like that. But the, the course that I went on to enable me to apply for a license from the governor of Svalbard was very, very different. And. Traditionally, you imagine putting the, putting the bullet into the chamber and taking a sight and settling yourself down and taking a breath and then squeezing the trigger and letting that shot go. And then you look and see where it's gone. Mm -hmm. and you, you take the used cartridge out and you crank another bullet into the, into the chamber. Sight in point. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No. No, no, no. We were, we were shooting, I was shooting a, a 308 rifle, which will stop any man at a thousand meters. The target was set at between 50 and 25 meters range. And you are expected under duress because the instructors will yell at you and tell you to move and you've got to move and you've got to go to your knees. Then you've got to stand and then you've got to load another bullet and you're expected to get five rounds off within 30 seconds. Wow. That, and they're all expected to hit the target. Yeah. And that's reloading every single one. Yeah. They're not quick to reload. There's a bit of effort involved in each. There's, there's a lot of effort involved uh, with somebody shouting at you in, in a howling gale with rain blowing into your eyes. It's, it's a quite a challenge. But the reason for that, and it's exactly the same. I had to do another test when I picked up the rifle to prove that I could handle the rifle. And these rifles are serial numbered and signed to me. 
So I have one rifle that is dedicated to me and I am responsible for that rifle and everything to do with it. So when I pick the rifle up, I had to do a test. And whenever we get into port, which is every couple of weeks, we generally try and get up to the range and do practice. And again, it's practice, not of necessarily of taking your time and hitting the target. It's getting the shots away on target in a very quick time. But of course, the, the idea is, is that you never use the rifle. Yes. If, if you are having to deploy lethal force, then you have made several big mistakes in the lead up to that, that's put you in that position. So talk me through the day in the life of a busy RPG explorer. What, what do you do? What, what's your routine? You get up, what, half past 10, have a leisurely breakfast? Yeah, that's about it. No, normally <laughs> on, on the last ship I was working on, it was up at 6.30. Breathalyzer at 7. I'm sorry? Breathalyzer at 7. I thought you said that. Mm. Breathalyzer. Yep. So you can't start off with your normal breakfast and a groanie. Nope. 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 Not even a beer. Interesting. So that, that, is that a legal requirement or is it just the, the, the boat's rules? I think it was that particular ship, but obviously if you think about it, do you want somebody that's still suffering from the effects of the night before jumping into a Zodiac with a loaded rifle and tazzing off around the Arctic ice? No, of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So yeah, right. it gets me thinking that gets out the early drinkers, but of course, I suppose if you have been drinking the night before, there is a risk, yeah. isn't there? Yes, very much so. And one of my, one of my teammates last year actually blew positive and he was restricted from working for the day and he had a full disciplinary hearing in front of the captain. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so then quick breakfast, normally ready for action about eight o'clock, depending on whether we are using the Zodiacs or maybe doing a landing. If we're doing a landing, then we will put ashore probably well, we, what we were doing was putting ashore the four gun handlers and mm -hmm. it was our responsibility then to land and scout the whole area that the activities were likely to be going on, making mm -hmm. sure that there wasn't a bear asleep hiding behind a rock or anything like that. Because they can be quite tricky to spot. When they're lying down hiding, they can be very difficult to spot. But yeah, so we, we make sure everything's clear. Then it's back to the ship. Normally we'll leave two or three of the guys with guns on shore and ferry the passengers from the ship to the shore for a hike or uh, mm -hmm. an explore. Generally back to the ship for 12 o'clock, one o'clock. Quick lunch, maybe move position or work on what we're going to do in the afternoon. Two o'clock action again out in the Zodiacs. Back to the ship for about five to six o'clock in the evening when the guests then go off to get changed to go and have cocktails or go meet in the bar we've got to clean all the kit down mm. put the rifles make sure the rifles are cleaned put them back into the safes uh, um, make sure our ammunition's good make sure all our equipment is good put the zodiacs back on board we will then be preparing or starting to prepare for the next day's activities um seven o'clock every evening there was a debrief Mm -hmm. um, and a recap for all of the guests that want to be involved in that. 
So we'll spend about half an hour to three quarters of an hour going over what we've done during the day. If certain questions have been asked, going into the science behind how a glacier moves, for example. Then it's dinner. And very often you will so be invited. Is the answer to that slowly? Yes. I thought so. Good, good. I was thinking of it. Yeah. The, the thing is, is that some of the guys working on the team, one of the guys is a degree level geologist. Really? So, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the guys that make up these teams are not just gung-ho characters that want to drive around in fast boats in the ice looking for polar bears, unlike me, of course. These, these guys yeah. are serious scientists. And so they, they like nothing more than to, you know, tell, tell the guests about their latest research or, or discovery. And the fact that they're a guide is just their way of reaching out to a, a wider audience. So then it'll be dinner. And yeah. very often, very often you will get an invitation from one or two guests to have dinner with them. So after recap, we will have a debrief of the day, work through everything that went wrong, everything that went right, what are we going to do? And a short briefing as to what we've got planned for tomorrow, the next mm -hmm. day. And then if you are lucky enough to have had a dinner invitation, off up to the restaurant to spend an evening with the guests. And generally I try to knock it on the head about 10 o'clock in the evening, get back, get back to my cabin, pull my courtesy screen across and crash out for the night. Already the yeah. Yeah. It's, it's physically and mentally challenging. I also imagine you prefer doing that to being a guest. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Like, like me, you have a very low boredom threshold. And I, I probably couldn't be done with having cocktails at five every night, but far on occasion, but I, I probably wanted to carry on and strip down a Zodiac and yeah, get the, get the next day's mission sorted out. Yeah, there is, there is all of that. And yes, yes, I do enjoy that very much. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy sharing the Arctic with people who probably otherwise would never see it. Uh, yeah. And just trying to help them experience what I've experienced over the years and what draws me back time and time again. Yeah. It's showing them that joy, isn't it? Opening that box for them of jewelry of exciting things. Yeah. Very much so. And, and you say that, that the, the other guys on there are serious scientists. Well, you're, you're, you're not far from a serious scientist yourself at times. <laughs> So, you know, you, you have a huge amount to offer there. I, I wonder, how, how do you balance it, though, with being the, 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 uh, the owner of, of Tim's Medical and, and writing your capitalography books and doing capitalography lectures? And that? Do, do, you, do you think that there's got to be a, a steady balance and I can do with that much Tim's Medical and I can do that much soul biting? Or do you think, well, let's go, let's go, let's go? <laughs> I know the answer, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know you do. Yeah, of course, it's let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. But of course, I have a mortgage to pay. And whilst mm. I get paid handsomely for the work I do as a guide, I have responsibilities to my clients or to our clients. And I have responsibility to my team as well. And mm. if, if I'm going to say anything here, it's going to be a big thank you, particularly to Ashley, who keeps the show running when I'm out of radio and internet contact. 
and we we keep things running. I get into port probably once once a week. We have, we've got no internet up there because all the satellites are sitting around the equator, and we are right at the top. Oh, I guess there would be, wouldn't they? I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. to get some no, no point no. in taking a spread. No, not at all. So when when we get internet, the that's in main town of Longibian. And the satellite transmitters are pointing flat down to the horizon. Wow. You know, whereas, whereas when, you know, even in the UK, you know, our, our satellite pickups are angled up into the sky, but up, up in the high Arctic, you're aiming down at the horizon. That's amazing. So, I mean, gosh, the scatter there must be huge, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a, that's a precious resource. So I, I can get internet when I get into harbour and then depending on whether I've got shore leave or whether I've got other duties, I can generally log on and communicate with Ashley. And if there are any things that he can't answer, then I'll be able to step in and help him out. Yeah. But, um, you get really struggled to watch a Disney Plus film there, wouldn't you? Unless, <laughs> unless you download it first. Oh yeah, I can see. That's, no, that's good. You could do that. I was thinking, I'd never get my daughters to do it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, is there is there any advice that you'd give to someone wanting to 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 okay, first of all, go on one of these holidays, or secondly, someone who's thinking they might want to become a guide? You don't want to become a guide. The more That's guides there are, the harder well, the, the, the more guides <laughs> there are, the harder it is for me to get a job. So Okay. Because I work okay, at, I work so, for you. Well, I work as a freelance guide. Some of the guides are tied to various shipping companies but i'm a free agent so i i will pick up work wherever i can and whenever i can but you know if you fancy being a guide yeah go for it yeah so my my other advice is if you want to if you want to experience the arctic come and join me Um, i'm going to be working on one of the small ships next year i've got dates in june there is some availability and you can sign up and come and join us and I'll be working with one of the Arctic's most experienced guides and also one of the world's top wildlife photographers. So if between the three of us, we can't give you the experience of a lifetime, I don't know who can. So will you give us the link? Yeah, I can. I, we yeah. can put the link in down below. Absolutely. No problem at all. Or you can pick up on through Instagram, Mike Brampton, mm-hmm. or Facebook at Mike Brampton, or Drop us an email via the links below. Yeah, no problem at all. Because I think a few people would be interested in being there. And and what about people who may be interested in looking at photos? Do you have any plans to to sell your photos, show them? Is there a book? Is there a uh, a website or a shop? Where where can we get your photos, Mike? Because they are fantastic. Thank you. Really? Uh, it's very sweet of you to say so. MikeBrampton.com. Is mm-hmm. due online very soon. I am putting a book together. In fact, I'm putting two books together. Mm-hmm. One is a children's book from an encounter that I had last year with um, a mother and two freshly born cubs, and we were we were really privileged to spend a long time with her. She knew we were there, but mm-hmm. she wasn't bothered. And uh, through the rain, we, we actually got rain that day. I remember rain, a little bit of snow. But she brought the two cubs to show, show us, show the cubs, the, the humans in the big boat. And we basically stayed parked in the ice and just watched her 
watch her feeding the cubs and the cubs playing privileged position to be in so that's Please, that's going into a ch children's book and then there's a more adult yeah, book do you have a name for the book yet children's book no no i haven't okay. got a publish we've we're putting it <laughs> we're putting it together and it will be published and again that will go out that'll be put out on facebook mike brampton and instagram at mike brampton so and the adult book uh the adult book will follow and that will be more of a look at the Arctic, not all positive, not all pretty fluffy bears. There is a harsh side to the Arctic. It is, it is raw nature and not all bears make it. And there are a couple of stories in that book of uh, bear encounters that we've had with bears that didn't make it, sadly, for various reasons. But yeah, the walruses and the, the other sea life, the whales that we've seen, um, it's, it's all in the amazing, amazing. And, and, and yet it is sad that, that they don't all make it. Of course, in, in nature, every, everything dies at some stage, but the, the, oh. the awful thought is that, that a lot of the bears don't make it because of things we've done direct or indirect. And that's, uh, that's the terrifying thought, isn't it? That we are destroying some of their feeding grounds where reducing uh, the, the biodiversity that, that supports the environment that, that supports them. Very much so. I think it, it, I find it very frustrating that this year in particular, there is lots of press and publicity of a cruise ship at the North Pole. The Russians are driving icebreakers through the, the famous Northwest Northeast passages delivering oil. So they're putting oil tankers through the environment. Well, uh, the good thing is they're so robust. They never, ever, ever break and leak oil. So that's yeah. 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 I, I think the first one I ever remember was the Torrey Canyon. Well, the front fell off that one, certainly by all means, but yeah. usually stay reasonably intact. Yeah, yeah, and the Exxon Valdez, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the yeah. back one fell off that and it caused all the fire, but the others, <laughs> very, very safe, very safe. It's it's worrying. It, it's worrying. It really and the certainly the last three years that I've been, the ice, the sea ice has retreated northwards a week earlier each week. So I've I've been there through May and June, yeah. and. Very often, or certainly back in the day, in June, you would not be able to circumnavigate the island of Salvard. This year, we were able to do it without too much difficulty at all. And that's progressive. Year on year, the sea ice is going north a week earlier every year. But the problem with that is that, okay, some bears are okay living on land for a while. Um, but if you're a bear who is dedicated to eating seals on sea ice and you don't get onto the sea ice when it melts and moves away from the land, you're stuck on land. And the and seals aren't. Yeah. And the seals aren't. They will go with the ice regardless. And of course, what that then means is that you've got to find a different dinner. And the little dinner is little pink things. People all or, or nothing. Little, little pink things or reindeer. Or reindeer, yeah. But of course, that then puts stress on the reindeer herds, and that yeah. all percolates down. 
know, it's it's a difficult one. It's very difficult, yeah, I think. And of course, visiting there, I am sure there are some listeners who are going, but you're there, you're contributing to this. And that's something that weighs very heavy on me. At the moment, I feel that I have more to offer by documenting what is happening mm-hmm. in an attempt, futile potentially as it is, to make people aware and for people to make changes. And there will come a time, and it won't be very long, where I feel that my impact on the environment is greater than the benefit that I can get or give Mm -hmm. from documenting the situation. And there are a lot of guides up there. There are a lot of guys that I know that feel the same way. At the moment, we feel we're on the cusp. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned earlier that ecotourism has a role to play in, in, hmm. in providing money for those areas to, to help reduce, uh, environmental contamination to, to enrich the, 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 the environment for the animals to do anything they can to try and reduce the impact yeah. that, that the rest of the world has on that area. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think your impact is very small. It worries me that these big cruise ships are going to turn up and their impact will be huge and the Russian oil tankers impact will be huge. And yep. so, yeah, it's difficult to tell, isn't it? Who's in the right, who's in the wrong? We, we should maybe all stay at home looking at your photos uh, by candlelight and, and, and uh, make, maybe we should. It, it's a difficult balance and I, I don't know the answer. It's, it's not an easy question and it's not an easy answer. I think that the way things are going, certainly from Svalbard perspective, that the, the experiences that I've had over the last 10 years will become rarer. Mm-hmm. Whether that limits it to a privileged few, um, who've got the money to spend to enable them to do that and that's a whole whole different debate yeah i i really i honestly don't know i honestly don't know but i think that the governor from Svalbard takes his responsibilities to his environment incredibly seriously mm-hmm. and whether he certainly they've restricted the size of cruise ships that's a done deal that's happened good whether he restricts the number of visitors, that's currently being talked about. There is discussion at the moment that ecotourists shouldn't be allowed within 500 meters of a bear, for example, mm-hmm. or wildlife. And whilst I understand that, that would kill that particular industry. And that would, would unless they have cameras with a lot of support for the local was- area. Yeah. There's, so that, that's, that's a difficult equation. That's a different, difficult balancing, balancing act. There is a drive from the scientists who monitor the bears and the walrus to keep us away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also a backlash or a drive from people like myself. So I'm in touch with Polar Research Institute and I've got friends that work for them. We get experiences and we can track the bears just as easily as they can with less impact. Interesting. Well, 
what, one of the things that the scientists rely on are radio collars. Mm. So you don't leave a radio collar on the snow with a big sign saying, hello, polar bear, please put this around your neck so we can track your whereabouts. No, you have to anesthetize them, don't you? Or, or you do indeed. Yeah. yeah. They, they have to be knocked down, full sedative, full anesthetic, and then the collar is clamped around their neck. And, and unlike a dog or cat, you can't do a pre-anesthetic check, can you, to make sure that all is well with these animals? Well, you do your pre-anesthetic check from a helicopter. <laughs> bloods? Nah, no bloods, no bloods. Mm. But one thing you can certainly guarantee is that there is a danger of overheating and there is also a danger of a large dose of adrenaline interacting yes. with the drugs that you give them. So it's an interesting debate. And as I say, I'm in touch with the Polar Institute and we talk back and forth periodically. Um, and there are things that I'm hoping that we can get through because a small boat with half a dozen people on or 12 people on just gently pottering past a walrus on an ice floe who doesn't bat an eyelid is significantly less disturbing than either a large ship or a helicopter coming in to have a look and see what's going on. It seems to be a pretty low impact. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. It, it's, uh, there's a drive, it's responsible tourism is, is, the, is the ultimate goal. Yeah, I think. of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Look, we're gonna we're gonna chat a bit more in just a moment, mm -hmm. but I wanted while well, we've got a, a bit of a uh, bit of internet signal here because <laughs> we're gonna avoid right? yeah. evening. Um, I wanted to show you a certificate I made for you. And um, I haven't done a sixty uh, second CPD, have I? You haven't. I don't know if you're going to or not. But <laughs> I, I thought I don't care if you do or not because actually what what you're giving me tonight is a, a tremendous oversight in, into your life as an Arctic photographer explorer. Um, mentor, uh, demonstrator, but you're also a skier, a cycler, a rifleman, uh, an oximeter, a capnographer, and a damn good egg. So, so I'm trying to encapsulate that in this, in this little certificate. And it says, certificate of being bloody brilliant, whatever you do. So, and, and there, there's a couple of, of anesthetics monitors. There's a. There's a, a, a polar bear about to attack two small children. That's a plastic one, so we're okay there. There's a, there's a cyclist. Now I'm not telling you who it is, but you can tell by the by, by the uh, little kiddies bike on the end that it's probably not a speed cyclist. Uh, I, th I think the red rucksack and the yellow jumper gives that away. Yes, me. Okay, fair enough. There's there's me doing some clay pigeon shooting. Uh, right. They 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 move a little quicker than polar bears. But they're yeah. safer unless they hit yeah. you. And, and there's some skiing going on. But yeah, really, it's a bit of a, a cheers to you, Mike, for actually excelling in whatever you set your heart to do. And Thank a you. year ago, just over a year ago, when we did the, the rib. The powerboat driving, course. Yeah. Powerboat course. When you said, I hate this, I don't want yeah. I didn't ever want to go on the water. My mate forced me to do it. I think from then you'd be leading people into one of the most hostile territories in, in the natural world uh, and showing them the, the sheer 
excitement and wonder of, of polar bears and walruses of skewers of, of sea ice of glaciers having baby cuddles all those things so che- cheers to you mike for that well, 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 cheers to you because it was it was you that suggested that we should go on this jolly thing and and take our exams and learn how to handle these these peculiar little fast moving boats in incredibly dangerous waters because the Isle of Wight is not an easy place. We saw um, and it was it was then a combination of events and a couple of fabulous people who suggested that I should. Maybe, maybe I should look at this a little bit more seriously. And hey, guess what? I've already got one of the major qualifications that I need, which was the one that you gave, made me do. I'm happy to be a tiny part in your, your progression. Where next? Where next for Mike? Is it moon exploration? What? I think I'm too old to become an astronaut, Julian. <laughs> too old and fat. Where next? That's, that's a great question. Yeah. Certainly already in the diaries an expedition next June, mm. uh, up and around Svalbard on a lovely little ship called Freya. There'll be 12 guests, three guides. So that's a mm. really, that's a really intimate look at Svalbard for, for 10 days. So that one's booked already. I'm talking with another ship operator to, to go back up there for six weeks before that expedition to, to basically do what I was doing last year. Now on the books, there's a possibility of Antarctica. I was just about to ask, what, what next Antarctica? When? Building up towards Christmas. If it happens, I, I don't honestly don't know. Of course, there's no requirement for a gun handler there. So, so there, what is being, the... Of course, no bears, because it's the Antarctic. That's right. That's right. I'll tell, tell you another interesting thing, yeah. that the Antarctic, of course, is a landmass covered yes. in ice surrounded by sea whereas the arctic is all ice yeah surrounded by sea so if you tilt the pole deep enough into the north pole it just goes straight through into the water yeah yeah well cruise ship actually went up there this year really yeah yeah well the north pole's moved quite a bit hasn't it in fact which which north pole because i think there are three out there I think, I think there are, but for, for the sake of argument, North Pole's the North Pole. And I mean, it's, it's depressing to think that, when was it, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Top Gear drove to the North Pole? Yeah, yeah. Was well, their fault? <laughs> Bloody there Clarkson. we go. Bloody Clarkson. But yeah, they drove, they, they were able to drive an ordinary cruise ship up to the North Pole this year. And there was a polar bear encounter there as well. Was there really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, long, long may they be yeah. polar bears at the polar. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So, what well, I think, although I have spoken to you for years and I can carry on, we'll carry on speaking to you for years. I don't know whether we should call things a night now while we've got that moment of working internet where we can say, as you usually do, that if you've enjoyed tonight's show then please please press subscribe on that little button at the bottom of the screen because it really really helps we do yeah. relish all you listeners writing into us and carry on writing in carry on watching carry on viewing and if you have any questions 
there about polar bears, about photography, about anything. Ask Mike. If you have any <laughs> questions, then you, you might ask me and I'll pass it to someone else. But thank you for joining us, Mike Brampton. And a little more to say other than may your dog go with you. Thank you very much, Julian. May your dog go with you. Cheers. Cheers.